He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys, Jim Woodward with you on a Wednesday. RBC Canadian Open and Live London both getting underway tomorrow. And it looks like a couple more guys will be headed that way. Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed both expected to join Live Golf at the second event, which is in Portland. And guys, before I get your thoughts uh, on them heading that way, I want to read you a quote from Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau said, For me, I personally don't think at this point in time I'm in a place in my career where I can risk things like that. I'm loyal to my family that I've created around me with sponsors and everything. And as of right now, the golf world is probably going to change in some capacity. I don't know what that is. Not my job to do so. I'm just going to keep playing professional golf and enjoy it wherever it takes me. Play with the best players in the world. That's really all I've got. That's what I'll do for the rest of my life because I want to be one of the best players in the world. That was Bryson DeChambeau six days ago at the memorial in less than a week he is now in a position in his life where he can take a risk that he could not take as of last Thursday uh Taylor what do you make of Bryson DeChambeau basically within a week totally changing his tune and going from full PGA tour to full live I mean guys at the end of the day we just can't can't really trust what anyone says everything says something with a grain of salt, I would go back to the famous Lincoln Riley. You know, I'm not going to be the head coach at LSU, then 12 hours later goes to UFC. So it's like, <laughs> I, it's just like anytime these people say anything, it's like a verbal commitment, right? It's like even when everyone back at the Riviera this year was saying, oh, well, yeah, we're committed to the PGA Tour, you know, all this stuff. Like even when Bryson said it then, I was like, I, I don't know about all this because all you got to do is come knocking on the door and next thing you know that, that everything is going to be an avalanche. And, you know, guys, I'll say this, it's, Whenever I was at the PGA Championship back in May or wherever we were up there, I was astonished with how many people, especially because obviously he didn't play the tournament, but when he was up there for the practice rounds, how many people wanted to see Bryson play? And it, it's telling that even though – people forget how good he was before he started getting hurt. I mean, he won the U.S. Open by six shots. So, I mean, this guy is a polarizing figure in the game of golf, and he is going to draw attention from it. So I think that for the live guys, that's a huge get because people are going to watch him play whenever he gets fully healthy. But I also think that everyone needs to look for the pauses of this guy. If you would have said at the start of 2022 that Patrick Reed and Kevin Nall would no longer be playing PGA tournaments, we'd all be ecstatic. We'd all be throwing parties and saying this is the best day in the world. So like I said, guys, we, there could be things that you take negatively from this, fellas. But at the end of the day, I think that it's really great that not only are we seeing that the, the game can grow in certain avenues, but if we're going to focus on the PJ Tour, we got two of the guys that everyone hated reading and are not there anymore. So I think that's a pretty good, a pretty good thing for everyone. <laughs> well, guys, my take on the whole deal is that we ended up getting pretty much all the guys that we thought we were going to get in the first place, right? I mean, we have Reed, DJ, DeShambo, Phil, Taylor, you know, everyone that we thought that was probably going to go over there, or at least the majority of the guys that we thought were going to go over there, are over there. And, uh, guys, I mean, it continues to get worse and worse for the PGA Tour. Um, and, by the way, I mean, the Sambo, he, is he the biggest name? Like Taylor just mentioned, the, everyone that wants to watch him, he might be the biggest name in golf other than maybe like, – like, I think he might be a bigger name in golf than Scotty Scheffler is right now. And, and so for the Live Tour to have that kind of notoriety right now, I mean um, – that's a huge deal. Um, but, guys, Woody, I want to ask you this. Like, did, Phil Mickelson needs to be owed some steak dinners somewhere or someplace because he took one for the team for these guys. These guys were able to just kind of, you know, go into their little rabbit hole and hide for a couple months. Phil took all the heat for these guys, and they ended up going over there anyways. Right, Woody? I, you know, we said this about two weeks ago that, it would none of us really feel sorry for Phil Mickelson. Everything he's done, he brought on himself. But <laughs> I'm kind of like you, Sam. He took every arrow. I mean, if if he was Custer, he is so dead, it's a joke. I mean, he just got waylaid. 
And in a funny kind of way, I bet you Phil went to every one of these guys in London and kind of went, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're probably right. It's Let me just say this, guys. So, I, I mean, y'all know I'm, I'm anti-live. I think it's bad for golf. Is it too much to ask? And maybe it is. Maybe it is. I just want one guy to tell the truth. Just one. This whole thing has just turned into a a bunch of already very rich golfers going to get even richer and just lying through their teeth about all of it. Is it too much to ask for just one guy to tell the truth and be like, look, they gave me a... Don't hold the truth. Don't hold the truth. The last person to tell the truth got crucified. Phil did not tell the truth. Phil said the quiet part out loud about Saudi Arabia, but he did not tell the truth. He still tried to talk about growing the game and all this nonsense. He wanted the money. That's what they're he trying wanted to the do. Money. They're- no, they're not. It's about the money. Yes, <laughs> it's obviously about the money, Colby, and that's how he's trying to grow the game. He's With trying money. to get guaranteed contracts in golf. Exactly. Thank you for proving the point. Yeah, it's not about growing the game. If they were being offered a million dollars more, that's how you're growing. That's how you grow money. Is how you grow professional golf. If they were being offered one million dollars more by Live Golf than they're being offered by the PGA Tour, nobody would be going. They are going because of two hundred million dollars. That's why Phil wants. It's not to grow the game. I just want one guy to tell the truth. One one guy. That's how you're supposed to grow the game of professional golf is by guaranteed money. It's the third biggest sport in the world right now, and you're not giving out guaranteed contracts. That's how you grow the game. Yeah, you're talking about the PGA Tour giving out guaranteed money. I'm talking about these guys leaving the tour only for the money. They're only leaving for the money, but they want to feed us all these lies. I'm tired of the lies. It's about the money. We all know it. The lies are coming from the PGA Tour. They have $40 million to just piss away in the PIP. Yeah, and the Saudis just spent $500 million on Bryson, DJ, and Phil. And you're talking about $40 million pip. It's, it's exactly. not even the field. That's what I'm saying. Is the, the PGA Tour should have been paying these guys more money for years, but they haven't been. It's been going to guys like Jay Monahan and a bunch of other the PGA Tour does not have a billion dollars to lose in a season of golf. Liv does. Liv has a billion dollars that they can just lose. The PGA Tour can't do that. Exactly. So, I understand that. He does. Go ahead. <laughs> right, so I, 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 just, I just, so, I mean, God dang, where did I even start with all that? I mean, that was, that was pretty awesome listening to. I, I guess, Colby, I, I think the main thing that I want to ask you for someone who doesn't like live is that aren't we past the point now to where, because I, I get back at Riviera, we were saying, well, yeah, obviously the Saudis are bad and they probably shouldn't start this and players who go over there about all that. But we're past that point now, so shouldn't we start to try to think of ways that the live could be better for the PGA Tour and to make everyone be buddy-buddy, because it does, they're not going anywhere, Colby. I think that's the thing we have to accept now. And I think that two people, that's the main thing I'm seeing with people who are just against live, is that they want the tour to magically vanish away overnight, and that's not going to happen. So, I mean, what are some good remedies that we could have to where this tour could actually not hinder the game like a lot of people think that it might? I don't know because there's never going to be a partnership between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. There's never going to be a partnership between Live Golf and the DP World Tour because both tours have already taken such a strong stance against that tour and against where that money is coming from that those tours are never going to be they're never going to be buddy buddy. So, I mean, at this point, the best players in the world are still on the PGA Tour. That's really what, what I'm talking about here is Bryson last week talking about I can't take the risk. I want to play with the best players in the world. And then five days later, he calls up Jay Monahan and tell him he's going to live. So you, you just lied through your teeth to us at the memorial. It, it's not it, you can take a risk like that. It's not about playing with the best players in the world. The best players in the world are in Canada this week. So it's just it's just lying through his teeth. And, Colby, I'll just say this, though. If I, can put, I agree with what you're saying entirely. I, I don't like the not being truthful part, but this happens in every other sport, doesn't it? I mean, we, we saw with Kevin Durant when OKC. He was like, oh, I, you know, I love this place. He never said he was going to stay 100%. But there's, there's athletes who say they'll stay, and then two weeks later they're with a new team. So it's, this isn't something that's just new to sports in general. It's just new to golf. And so I, I think that it's just something we never had to embrace because people weren't like, 
oh, well, I'm going to leave the PGA Tour to go play the European Tour. Like, that never happened. Or I'm going to leave the European Tour to go play the Sunshine Tour. You know, that just never happened. So it's just something that whenever the PGA Tour now has competition, they have to find some way to do it. And, you know, guys, I'll say this. I, I don't think that players left because of the way the PGA Tour handled it, but I think it pissed a lot of players off that the PJ Tour tried to come have such a hard stance against us. And the European Tour, I'll throw them in there as well, DP World Tour, I'm sorry. These guys are independent contractors, and they want to be able to go play where they want, when they want it. They have a governing body who technically they're not employees of that's going to tell them what to do. I don't know, Woody. Don't you think that that made a lot of players pretty upset? Well, I'm I'm kind of giggling. I'm sorry if I was giggling too loud when I was listening (laughs) to you guys because uh, you know what? We were worried about the dog days of summer. What were we going to talk about? Well, life changes. And, Colby, I I agree with the lying part of it, but let me let me just – explain one thing to you and we won't go into politics or anything else but jay monahan and the, i don't even know who the, the the guy is in charge of the dp tour i should i'm sorry i don't but you don't think they can lie hey i oh, sit no, they and watch the president yeah we watch the president of the united states lie to us every day hey, guys that is our society nobody wants to take accountability everybody will lie and at some point, we need to bust these guys for lying. <laughs> That's what we really need to do. And, Colby, you're 100% correct. Just tell us. Just tell us. Quit blowing smoke up our preventives. You know what I'm saying? If it's the money, which we pretty sure it is, guys, because I, I don't know of any of these guys would leave unless this money was just oh, stupid. And it is stupid stupid right now but to say that they will never get in bed i beg to differ i'm gonna tell you with every guy that goes with every what we call the names that leaves the pga tour is going to have to do and so will the dp tour they're going to have to do one of two things they're going to have to fold or they're going to have to learn to get along guys that got to figure this out and being the bully i talked about it last week you know what? They got kicked in the balls, like I said, and they right now got ice packs on them going, yeah, they'll heal. But they better be careful because they're going to get kicked over and over again, and you can only put so much ice on it. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I agree. Woody, I would say that I don't necessarily see what Bryson said as a lie about wanting to play with the best players in the world. You look at just this week. Both tournaments are top-loaded. I mean, look at the RBC Canadian Open. Mark Hubbard is 8,000 on DraftKings. I mean, Mark Hubbard's no world beater. I think that both tours are going to have top-loaded fields. And, you know, I think competition does grow the game. And, I I mean, take that where you want it, guys. But, I mean, to me, I, I, I see it week in, week out, that the PGA Tour is a little overrated about playing the best players in the world when, you know, every tournament's just top-loaded anyway. Yeah, I, I think the reason, just real quick, I think the reason that I'm so worked up about it is because it's just been an exhausting week where three straight days, everything that I have read coming out of London from a player is a lie. All of it. And it's just, it's been an exhausting week of, of reading these guys' statements as they try to jump through hoops to justify their decision. Just tell us, hey, they gave me $30 million to play eight golf tournaments. Are you serious? I'm supposed to turn that down? I would have so much more respect for a guy who said that than, than the stuff that's coming out of London this week. And, and you know, Kobe, I, I got to say, I completely agree with everything you just said there. 100% right, and I agree with everything you guys are saying. Just the lion's bad. I just want to ask you, because, like I said, you are kind of the common denominator of a story who's really super against this lift. So I just want to ask you a hypothetical here. So let's let's just let's just say we live in a different world, right? Where the, where this lift tour is backed by Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, something like that. So now we actually have a tour who is trying to compete with the PGA and the DP World Tour. And, and the, let's just say the PGA Tour is already super against it, like they have been. We have to find some common area to get the game of golf to not ruin it. Because, in my opinion, what I think is going to happen is is that the PGA Tour and DP Wilter are going to be trying to have such such big stick diplomacies with this deal that they're going to make players who potentially may want to play both tours. Like, for example, I think Ricky Fowler is probably going to be in that same boat. So, yeah, he's going to play some live. I bet he's going to play some PGA Tour events. So my question for you is, okay, yes, I get that they've had a major big stance against this, but we have to figure out something now because it's too late to say that Liv not is going away. We have to find a way to not 
hindrance to the growth of the game of golf because it's grown so much over the last two years. Yeah, I, I mean, just want to know some logical solution to let that happen. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think that the PGA Tour is going to hold firm and see how it plays out and see how many guys really go. Because, like, now Bryson and Reed are going today. Let's say, sake of argument, let's say the Portland event, Kepka plays in it as well, so does Ricky. So does, does that amount of guys going force the PGA Tour's hand? Probably not. Now, if we get to the first live event next year, and, and word has it that Liv's going to try to put on 15 events next year as opposed to the eight that they're putting on this year. So if they put on 15 events next year and you get to the first one, and all of a sudden Rom and Morikawa and Scheffler are there, and, and JT decides he wants to go over there, and, and some more of these guys, Hovland, if these guys go over there and all of a sudden it's now like a mass exodus of the the, the top young stars in the game of golf, then I think the PGA Tour will have a very big problem that needs addressed. Th- this has the potential to turn into a very big problem uh, that, that could really wreck the PGA Tour, but I don't think we're there yet, and I don't know if we're going to get there because there are some guys, Rory and JT being the strongest, but a lot of the guys in, in the top 10 in the world have just said, you know what, I'm, I'm good on the tour. That could change, and if it does that's when I think that the PGA Tour will get a little more reactionary in terms of trying to basically just change their tune. But I don't think the Tour is changing their tune unless they're forced to by a mass exodus of, of the great young players in the game. Yeah, and very, also, very good point. And also, guys, we, we, need to, we need to note something that happened yesterday. I don't think we talked about it on yesterday's show. USGA officially came out and said that, hey, we had an event criteria before the event started, before these events came out. So essentially anyone that's playing live is going to get to play the U.S. Open now. And I think that's a pretty big statement for going forward because I think that a lot of these guys, we talk about legacy and prestige. Well, no one really cares about legacy for the FedEx Cup or no one cares about legacy for even like the Colonia or some big firm. So I think that the majors are so important there. And now that the USGA came out and said that we're essentially going to let them play at least this year, I don't know, guys. That's pretty telling to me, isn't it? Yeah, I will say on that, though, guys, that just because the USGA does it doesn't mean that, you know, the PGA of America will do it or the Masters will do it. We'll have to see, but, I mean, it's a good start. You got one out of four, right? Well, you actually got two out of four because the British Open said the same thing. Did they they go ahead and say the same thing? I didn't realize that. They they were backing the USDA now and saying, you know, we have a criteria also. So um, the world is changing. It's changing every day. And, and, you know, when you were talking about JT and, and all these guys, Rory, and all these guys making a statement, all these other guys made a statement too and said, I'm not going to do it. And then where are they? So I don't know. We got to be really careful. And after the break, I was going to tell you guys a story that happened many, many years ago when I was in Scotland and it's really ringing true right now. And after I tell that story after the break, I'd tell it now, but it'd give you guys too long to think about it because I want an (laughs) answer after I tell it. So I don't want anybody, I want to catch your response close off guard as I can do it when I tell this story. Well, well, then let's do this. So whenever Taylor went down, if you listen to yesterday's show, Taylor talked about the new look Dornick Hills down in Ardmore. Perry Maxwell, original Tom Doak went in, redesigned it. Taylor got to play it along with Ken McLeod of Golf Oklahoma Sunday morning, and he was actually able to interview Tom Doak afterward. We promised everyone yesterday you'd get that interview today. Uh, so we'll play that and then come back after, hear that story from Woody, and then preview the golf tournaments for this week. Do want to remind everybody to go see our good friends at Groove It, Brush, GrooveItBrush.com, GrooveItBrush.com. Use the promo code 73rd hole to get 10% off. Quite possibly the finest golf club cleaner ever made. The water goes right in the brush. Your clubs will be cleaner. You'll hit it straighter. You'll hit it further. You'll shoot lower scores. They are in stock. GrooveItBrush.com, promo code 73rd hole for 10% off. All right, here is Taylor's interview with Tom Doak Sunday from Dornick Hills. And now I'm joined by legendary course architect Tom Doak. I actually just got done walking the final three holes at Dornick Hills with the man. What a great honor it was. Tom, thank you for joining us, my friend. Nice to be here. Uh, so, you know, just going out walking this course, most of us in Oklahoma going around here have played this course a hundred times, maybe even more, and I, I cannot believe the amount of changes that have been done here. So, kind of just take us, Tom, from the day that you walked on property, the first time you first saw it, compared to now, what all went into it, what all went through your head, and why does the course look now the way it does? Well, the first time I saw it was 40 years ago before they changed it. I just happened to drive through here when I was in college, seeing a few golf courses on my way back to school. And 
you know, I mean, I, I didn't know nearly as much about Perry Maxwell at that time, although that same trip was the first time I saw Perry Dunes in Southern Hills, so I got to know more about his work pretty fast. You know, this place was just a sleepy little town club. I, I don't even remember. I guess I knew that it was his first golf course is one of the reasons I stopped in, but the main reason was it was right on the highway, <laughs> right past where I was going. And, um, you know, I just thought it was a cool piece of land for golf. And then I knew... I knew that they had changed it and just torn up the greens and built all new greens. And, and that was kind of disturbing to me. I mean, I, I've seen, a, you know, when I, when I was traveling in college and after college, I would see tons of old golf courses like this that were really good golf courses. And they'd just been like tinkered with and changed to death. And it's like, why, why would somebody change that green? And why would, you know, why are you adding bunkers and moving bunkers around? Um, and, you know, back then, nobody thought about doing restorations kind of work at all. Right. Um, but we've been lucky to work on a bunch of good old courses that just, you know, when they asked us what they needed to do, it was like, well, stop, stop running some new direction and just, you know, don't make changes for tour pros because your members aren't tour pros and just get back to what made the golf course good in the first place. And, you know... I mean, when I started doing that 30 years ago at places like Garden City Golf Club and San Francisco Golf Club, they hadn't been torn up too bad. So it was, you know, we would do things slowly over time. But, you know, nowadays it's like if you can convince the club to do it at all, it's like let's do this in one shot, close the golf course and get it fixed. Really, I mean, if you're going to change the greens, you have to close the golf course to change the greens. And then it's like, well, what all are we going to do if we do it? Yeah. So anyway, a few years ago, I just I'd, I'd finished one of my books and I was doing an interview with somebody and they said, if you could restore any of these old golf courses you've seen, what would it be? And I said, there's two, Bel Air in California and Dorna Kills because it's Perry Maxwell's first course. And like five years ago, we I got a call. Somebody, somebody at Bel Air read that interview and asked me to come talk to him. And I didn't. I didn't make the comment because I was trying to get the job. I mean, they had another architect, and they were they had been making changes going the other direction for years, so I didn't think they were going to hire me, and I, did, I didn't know that I knew anybody at Bel Air at all, but in fact, I knew a couple fairly important people there. So we wound up redoing that like five years ago. And, you know, great experience. And then here, you know, I always had the sense that you know, it's a small town place. They didn't have the money to do that kind of work, even if even if you could convince them it was the right thing to do. Right. So, uh, so I, you know, I said in that interview, you know, I'd do that for free. Um, so, like two years ago, just at the start of the pandemic, um, you know, we were supposed to be starting our new resort course in Wisconsin for Sand Valley, and they they just put the brakes on it with the with the pandemic just not knowing what was going to happen and, right yeah. you know what was that what would that mean for business it's actually been great for business there but uh, so we had nothing to do and then out of the blue i get a call from joe ward at dorna kills who's on the greed committee he's like i read that art you know i read that interview with you a few years ago were you serious about you you consider doing work here for free and i was like yeah and i said like you know, you have to pay the guys that work for me, but, you know, I'll put in my time for free. And he said, well, we're, we, we got to put in a new irrigation system, so if there's any time to do anything, it's now. Um, you know, would you come down and take a look at it? And I said, yeah. And he said, how much do you think it would cost? And I said, I don't really know, but, I, I mean, I think you've got to rebuild the greens because you, you changed them completely, and a Perry Maxwell course without Perry Maxwell greens is... Is not, not a Perry Maxwell course, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, oh, I didn't want to hear that because that's going to be expensive, and the greens are in good shape right now. We, you know, we we regrassed them a few years ago, and they're looking real good." And I was like, "Yeah, well, I mean, so I came down and looked at it, and and they they put me in the cart with an older member, Brazzy Westheimer, and after you know after after a few holes, he he told me that his his grandfather was uh, Perry Maxwell's brother-in-law, but more than that, Perry Maxwell's brother-in-law was like the uh, project manager and shaper for a lot of his golf courses. Oh wow! Um, 
Dean Woods and his brother, the Woods brothers, uh, were kind of like Eric and Blake for me. They would go around and, and build things with Maxwell. You yeah. know, it was kind of like move the family. They, they, they moved the family to, Chris, to northern Michigan for two summers working on Crystal Downs, where I'm a member. So, um, you know, once, you know, hearing Bruzzy talk about the golf course back in the old days and just, you know, getting a sense of, you know, I, I realized it was really important to him and that the thing actually might happen. Um, and, and that's been part of the coolest experience of this is that, you know, uh, Maxwell's granddaughter who lives in Santa Fe was here last night for the, the reopening thing. And it's just, it's cool that the family is behind it. I mean, that's, and that's why it happened. And, you know, it's clear that, that Perry Maxwell still has his imprint so much around Oklahoma golf. So, and obviously you're a great architect yourself, d- d- designing Pacific Dunes, Terra 18, New Zealand, some of those other courses. So when you get to a place like this and you're looking for a restoration, how much of it do you go from what the course used to be and what Perry designed to kind of what you have in your own taste and what you would like to see the course be? If you use the word restoration, you shouldn't be introducing too many of your own ideas. Um, you know, you're really, t- and you know, I mean, you have to take the word restoration with a grain of salt because we don't have, exi- you know, when when clubs decide to, decided to blow up their greens 30, 40 years ago, they didn't make maps of what they were about to blow up. They think they're doing the right thing. So we don't really have all the information we want. We have, like, good aerial photos, so we know, you know, we know just how big that green was and what the shape of it was and where the bunkers were around it. But the actual 3D stuff... We're guessing a little bit, you know. That's just based on having seen some actual courses and and the green side itself. And like, okay, how would something fit in here and not be too severe? And then the other part of it is, you know, a couple of these greens. If I put them back exactly the way they were, they wouldn't work. I mean, one of the reasons the club blew it up was that there were a couple of greens that just had a ton of back to front slope. And if you were in the back, you putted right off the front and down the hill, 30, 30 40 yards past, which. You know, because these greens were built in 1920 when the green speed was like five or six on the stint meter. And they used to have sand greens. That's what they first originally Yes, the first three or four holes were just sand greens. Uh, So you can't, you know, even if I'd have had the exact plans, I probably would have had to modify it some so it works for, for the standards we use today. But... You know, I I really want to put back as close as I can to exactly what's here because it was a very important course historically. And you know, I you know my own first golf course is clo- in, is in Traverse City and it's closed right now. And you know that would hurt more if I, if I hadn't got to go do a bunch of really famous golf courses in in the interim but i'm still it's like i live there i want to see this thing restored you know we probably won't part of it's like a hops farm and they're not going to tear that up but i'm actually talking to a client now about you know restoring the most of the old back nine that didn't get torn up and adding another nine holes in there behind where it used to be and having an 18 hole golf course again and that's like you know, maybe that's my karma for having taken this on. <laughs> I, get to, I get to redo my own now. <laughs> well, that'll be exhilarating, though. So now, Tom, t- just take us through because the first one and two are the you know obviously the first holes you play, and they're so much different than they used to be. So, kind of take us through a couple holes. They don't necessarily have to be holes one and two, but what are one or two holes that you got on? You said, "Well, I'm going to have to change this back to where it was because this is nothing like it was." So, what what holes? Well, I mean, the- all of them, but you know. One actually, the first hole was the one that I didn't think there was any way they were going to let us restore because the the original first green is kind of in the back of what they've been using as driving range for years. Yeah, and you know it just didn't seem like there was a safe way to do that. Um, you know, and I suggested, well, you know, there was kind of a it, it wasn't shaped like the old green, but there was kind of a green back there, and I said, you know, we could we could at least. We could at least like build the old green and then maybe a couple days a year you just close the range and play to that green and you know the rest of the time it's a chipping green and stuff and you know that would really but you know still keep the old hole but that made it hard you know when they when they changed it 35 years ago they 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 straightened out the first hole and made it go longer along the lake and then the second hole you were playing the same green, but from a completely different angle. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't near as interesting a par three either. And I, I thought the second hole was 
was one of the ones that you saw, like, you know, there were, if you're looking for pictures of Dorna Kills back in the day, like half the pictures you find are the second hole. Partly because it's close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, you know, and partly because it's the only hole that, you know, you're playing over a pond. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, after we talked about it for a while, they were like, well, we'll just, like, make the range irons only, and, you know, we'd like to restore that first hole. And, and I was like, okay, I guess these guys, you know, so, so one and two are back to the way they are, and two, two is a great part three. And I think, one, you know, one is not, you know, be, you know, before we changed it, it was a 420-yard par four with water left on the second shot, so it was hard. And now it's kind of a dog like right, and it's quite a bit shorter, but it's, you know, you can't miss the green to the right. The green just all tilts right to left, and if you if you miss it up on the right side, you're not getting that up and down. Now, take us through, I would be renounced if I didn't mention the fact that there used to be like a million trees on this course, and now there's like maybe five or six. So that's, that's an exaggeration, obviously, but still. So kind of take us through the process of just completely revamping what this course looks like off the tee box. Well, there's, you know, there's always members that just hate the idea of taking down any big tree. Um, and I understand that, and yet I also look at it like, you know, there's three things. One... It's really hard to grow good turf under, you know, in shade, especially like Bermuda grass just does not exist well with with shade. So when you've got fairways that somebody planted little trees 50 years ago and now it's really tree lined, it's hard to grow grass and it's hard to have the golf course in good shape. Uh, two, you know, this was an open farm when it was built, except for some of these oak, some of the oak trees down along the creek and stuff. And so, it, you know, if you look at the old pictures, it's hard to justify having all the trees. And three, um, you know, sitting up here at the clubhouse and looking, you know, the first time that the first time that I came here to, to sit on the patio of the clubhouse or even the porch upstairs and look out toward the toward the green on sixteen and fourteen, but the cliff there, it's really only. 400 or 500 yards from here yeah. but you couldn't see it because of all the trees and it's like God you ought to be able to see that Yeah. <laughs> so, and you ought to be able to see you know if, if, if they give me carte blanche there's a couple more of these trees right here that I would take down just so you could see like you know I can almost see the second green from here but not quite Yeah. Um, and just you know that's what this place felt like originally Just that's why the clubhouse was here you just had a big sweep big broad view of the whole golf course from here very nice so then my last question tom you had to pick one hole out here to be your favorite what hole would you pick oh i mean you know a bunch of these holes have really grown on me now that i'm more familiar with them like i i would say my favorite holes are the third hole par four that's one of the best greens that we worked on uh the sixth hole the par five coming back i really like everything about that hole um Seven is a tricky short par four. Uh, ninth green really came out great. Um, but, you know, 14, the short par four is a cool hole. I, t- I talked a lot with Mike Holder about that hole. He played, you know, he played high school golf here, and he was just, he, 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 he came down a couple times to, to help, and that was the hole that he spent the most time on because he was like, that was his favorite hole, and he wanted to make sure we got it right. <laughs> but, but you know 16 here is just it should be world famous i mean there is no hole in the rest of golf that's that's like that and that is so rare to see a a great golf hole and you know i I mean i look at it like well i wish that was mine but you could you couldn't copy that you know without without the cliff face at the angle that it's at there's no way you could copy that anywhere else no so and that's you know when you're a golf course designer that's like that's the ultimate success is when you build something that's like, yeah, this is this this fits this place perfect, and nobody else is going to do this. Yeah. So, Tom, what, just kind of take us through what, what's the next uh, few months, the next few years of your schedule look like? You got any projects coming up? Any restorations? Any new courses on the on the re- on the resume? Uh, the I am out of the consulting and restoration business almost entirely to focus on new work. The only thing I'm I've agreed to do is restore Crooked Stick because I worked for Pete Dye growing up and I spent some time there with him. And, you know, so that's it's kind of the same as here. That was his first great golf course. And, you know, if I can help him put put back some of the little character of it, I'll, I'll help him. But 
Uh, you know, I've done 40 new golf courses in my life. It's like, I should put a few more out there. And luckily right now it's like, there are tons of people calling me. So I have like 10 or 12 new golf courses to build in the next five years. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I'm shocked that there's, you know, I mean, there's so much more interest in golf coming out of the pandemic. And there's, you know, there's so many more people relocating now in the country. People, people moving to, I mean, a lot of the calls have been from like Texas and Florida because, you know, people are moving from California and people are moving from New York and, yeah. and moving to those places. And there's not really that many great golf courses there. And, you know, it's like if you're a rich guy from New York and you're moving to Florida and you want to join a great golf course, you know, the only two or three that you want to join, there's no way you're getting in. Yeah, to exclusive. So, yeah, they're full, and and you know you'd be on a very long waiting list, and most of those kind of guys don't like to wait. So, no. so there's going to be a bunch of new golf courses built in those places. I had, I had five or six calls from Florida and five or six calls from Texas in the last year, and I just, you know, I've committed to doing a, one private club in Palm Beach area, a resort course in northern Florida, a private club about three hours west of here actually same from dallas and that will be like a national club in kind of kind of like valley neal kind of sand dune country very nice yeah and uh and a resort course in texas too so i figure that's all i can do is you know when every single guy that calls you says we want the best course in texas it's like well, I can really only do that once or twice. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like Texas is a big state, but the so, best still only so, has a certain place on the I'll, on the main. I'll, I'll just have to pick which one I like the best. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, that's the last question I have for you. So, and this might be tough because you know they're kind of your babies. But what's the your favorite course that you designed, and what's your favorite course that you didn't design? Oh, uh, that's you know I don't even try to answer that question anymore because because you know I've I mean when I did Pacific Dunes, that was such a beautiful piece of land. And I thought we did everything just the way we should. You know, it's like 20 years open now, and I haven't. The only thing we've ever done to it is like try to make make a few of the bunkers smaller, or break them up so the sand doesn't blow out of them so much. Yeah. But everything else is just like just the way we built it. So, so I thought at the time it's like, well, I'm, you know, when, if I ever get this question, it's going to be an easy answer. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to think I did anything better than this. And you know, I've had like six or eight or ten other projects that that I kind of feel the same way about like if you know if that was the only golf course I ever built I'd be perfectly happy with that and and I might have a couple more up my sleeve yet can't wait to see what Tom Doak takes on next big thanks to him for taking some time uh with Taylor and Taylor doing a great job down there at Dornick Hills on Sunday getting that uh great interview with Tom Doak getting inside the mind of the man who redesigned Dornick Hills we're gonna take a break come back on the other side we've got some good stuff uh Woody's got his story we're gonna preview the RBC Canadian Open a uh, little draft for what's going on on the live all coming up on the other side stay with us here on the 73rd hole the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. We're back. 
back here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Big thanks to Tom Doak for taking some time to talk to Taylor on Sunday uh, about new look Dornick Hills. Get down there and, and give it a try. Uh, yeah, glowing review yesterday from Taylor about the new Dornick Hills. If you want to go back and listen to yesterday's episode, if you have not had a chance to do that, reminder to go over to GolfOklahoma.org. GolfOklahoma.org, covering golf in the state like nobody else. And you can follow us on Twitter at the 73rd hole, Instagram, 73rd hole. All right, Woody, you promised us a, uh, a story relating to what we've kind of been talking about this week. The floor is yours, my friend. Okay, so you guys ready now? And then I want responses after I tell this story. I'm, I was in Scotland. It's been a number of years ago, but there's a caddy that was sitting down with us one day, and he was talking. He said, you know, what always cracks me up over here in our part of this world is when we watch your media. And we're always curious about it. He says, and here's a good story for you. A man has a herd of sheep. He takes one sheep into his house. There's three different news networks, the big ones, from the United States. One of them says he took it in because it was cold and it was sick and he wanted to get it work, get healthy. Second one said that he took it in to get the wool off of it. The third one said he took it in and did something inappropriate with the sheep. Guess which story got to the news and got the most publication? The one that was the most controversial, that the farmer was in the house doing something inappropriate. What I'm saying and what we spoke about earlier, guys, if you want this brought to a head right away, they do lie. They will lie. It's up to us as journalists and people that are in this broadcasting business, where as small as our podcast and as big as CNBC or whatever it is, you have to dig through what is said and figure out what is true. And good luck with that because there's a lot of it that is not true and won't be true and never will be true out of certain medias. Right now, this tour is trying to get started, but it's being bashed a lot, okay? We as journalists, all of us, I'm, I'm putting you guys on the spot here. We got to do our homework, find out what's true and what's not. So if you watch the man take the sheep into the house, which story do you believe? Justin bringing it into the house, right? I mean, that's uh, all I saw. That's all you saw. That's the facts, right, Sam? That's all you yep. saw, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No matter how much they broadcast that he was doing something with the sheep in there that probably was inappropriate. We aren't in the house watching. We don't know, do we? No, we have absolutely no idea what happened to the sheep. But it's, it's exactly like you said, Woody. It's 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 the same for it's the same for everyone, man. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what political side you lean on. You watch Fox News, you watch CNN, watch MSNBC, whatever it is, they're going to tell whatever story gets the most people engaged. It's it's one of the things they they even came out with with this not too long ago that. That news stations, a lot of times, when like for their websites and stuff, they post controversial stories just to get clicks because that's what gets them money. So it's, it's, it's you're absolutely right. It's you have to take what you say with a grain of salt, and it's like I said, the truth can get so out there because it's just like Colby's been saying, everyone lies now. So it's it's, it's how the hell are you supposed to tell what's true? So it's and a lot of times too, truth can just be perception, right? Because or perspective. Because at the end of the day, you know, like like for example, just that sheep story. Well, if you go, if you see the, him walk into the house, but yet, let's say you see a shadow of the sheep and the man in the house, and it looks like they're doing something inappropriate, like you said, well, then that's going to be the clear answer for you. When all reality, he might have been setting them up on the table to, to get them warm, like you were saying. So it's a lot <laughs> we of don't know. That you, we just don't know. So I, I agree with everything you said right there, Willie. The truth is perception, but it also goes back to what Colby's been saying. The truth is so much harder to find out because everyone just lies, and no one really cares if they lie. That's, that's really the biggest problem of it. Yeah, I, I think kind yeah. of my response to that would be, you know, what do you do? You figure out what people care about, and then that's what you talk about, right? Like this week, five of the top ten players are playing in the RBC Canadian Open. We have not yet talked about it. Between yesterday's show and today's show, we haven't yet talked about it. It's not really what people care about right now. Right now, people care about Liv. Uh, now, we're still going to preview the RBC Canadian Open like we normally do, but, uh, I mean, yeah, you find what people care about, and you talk about it, and, and that's why everybody's talking about Liv right now. It's like, you know, somebody on Twitter, Twitter uh, was like, well, one of the LPGA players had Saudi golf on her bag. Why aren't y'all talking about that? Well, because quite frankly, nobody cares. 
So, like, like yeah, she might. And, and that's that. there are some parallels between that and what we're talking about. But nobody cares if a random LPGA player has Saudi golf on her bag because she's not headline worthy. She's not newsline. She's not newsworthy uh, because that's not what people are wanting to talk about right now. So, uh, yeah, definitely has been live overflow this week but now we're we're it's wednesday tomorrow we get golf we get golf on the pga tour and we get golf uh on the live golf invitational series why don't we go ahead and uh taylor do you happen to have strength the field pulled up for the rbc canadian open and i don't even know i i'm assuming they don't have strength the field for live but i don't know there, there is no strength of field for live because it is not an official world golf rank event so there will not be a strength of field for that but i do have a strength of field for the RBC Canadian Open, whichever one of y'all wants to fire away first, feel free. Uh, Give me three thirty. Um, I'll take uh, three ninety four hundred. I'll go four hundred. I'll, I'll go an even four twenty. I think I think we're all overestimating the top heaviness of this field, guys. It's only two seventy four. Wow. And I, I think the reason for, I think the reason for that is we got a decent amount, like what we mentioned, top ten players in the world. But as you get past about the 38th mark of Harold Barner, it drops off pretty good. You only have, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. You only have seven guys ranked between 38 and 100 in this event. So, kind of like Sam was saying, it's, it's, it's a very top-loaded top, top loaded this week, guys. And, you know, obviously it's a week before a major championship, so I don't think this is the case. But it seems like a lot of these big guys are probably playing this week to, to make a statement, saying that they are backing the PGA Tour in a sense. Obviously, Rory and JT probably been the two biggest advocates for that. Besides Tiger, obviously, but he's not going to play. So, so yeah, I think that we just kind of overestimated with that top field. So, only 274. I would be interested to see if we did have a strength of for Liv. If I just had a guess, it'd probably only be around 50 or so, if I had to guess, maybe even lower than that. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff on the strength of field there. Definitely top-heavy this week at the RBC Canadian Open. We ready to dive into a little DraftKings, fellas? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. All right, I'll get us going. With the man, the myth, Harry Higgs, 6,800. Uh, I think this course p- could play pretty well for him. I was kind of reading a little bit yesterday about St. George's. Uh, it's a very unique golf course. I think it'll be a fun golf course to watch on TV. Uh, there's some cool downhill par threes. One of them's like 210 downhill. Half the green is blind, even though it's downhill because there's a massive mound and bunker on the left. It's a very unique golf course, uh, and I think Harry Higgs will play well this week. Sam, who you got? I am going to go with the Canadian himself, 6,000, Mike Weir. I'm going very top-loaded, just like the tournament is this week. Uh, Mike Weir at 6,000, Canadian, that's really my only reason. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> well, that's not a bad reason, in my opinion. So, I'm going to go with my cheapest option, 6,300. I, I think this is the cheapest you may be able to ever get this player again in the history of life. So, I'm going to go ahead and keep rolling with it. 6,300, Chris Goddard. I mean... Every, I, I, have, I have not met anyone who I've heard more praise about someone saying they'll be eventually a top 10 player in the world than I have Chris Goddard. So I'm going to believe in that. Just made it through for the U.S. sectionals, getting through to uh, to the U.S. Open. So I think he's going to keep riding that train until I see some, some bad play. I'm going to keep rolling with uh, Chris that, Goddard. That's a, I'm go, that's a great pick, Taylor. I, I sure hope it is. So going from 6,300 all the way up to 7,800, give me the man Adam Long. Um, you know, most known for winning at uh, – at the uh, Bob Hope or whatever it's called now a couple years ago. But he's on this nice streak, guys, where he, he'll make a cut, he'll miss a cut, he'll make a cut, he'll miss a cut. Well, right now he, he, he missed a cut at the Memorial, so he's on pace to make a cut again this week. And so having one of his better uh, ball-striking years that he's had as well. So let me some out along this week, Sam. All right, then I'm going to go 6,300 Chris Gottero <laughs> for all the reasons <laughs> nice. you just gave. Uh, and yeah, like I said, top loaded lineup this week. Chris Goddard is the best value of anyone in the 6,000. Uh, all right, I'm going to step up just a little bit for my next pick. This is a guy who kind of flies under the radar, but just steadily plays pretty good golf on the PGA Tour. Uh, Rory, everybody's talking about Rory this week. He's one of the big favorites. That's Rory Sabatini at 7,200. He's a cut maker, and that's what you need from a guy at 7,200 this week in this field. Next, I'm going to go with my close personal friend, uh, Matt Wallace. Really good guy, Matt Wallace. Uh, He's going to play well this week at St. George's. I almost said Royal St. George's. That's where we were at last summer. St. George's Golf and Country Club up in Canada. Sam? All right, well, I'm going 6,500. I've only gone up 500 from 6,000 so far, boys. That's how top-loaded I'm going. Robert Streb at 6,500 this week. 
Um, hasn't played his best golf this year, but he's one of those guys that, you know, if he can get on the co- on a course that he likes, he can compete. And I think that St. George's is one of those courses um, that ne- isn't necessarily a bomber's paradise that Robert Streb can compete on. So give me Robert Streb at 6,500, T-Dub. Sure, we'd like to see Chigate's finest get a good get a good good appearance. Evan North finest. Evan North finest. No, Chigate's through and through. Go to com. It'll tell you Chigate, baby. That's going to be the course that we use. So I'm going to go up from all the way from 7,800. Give me 7,900 to two-glove band himself, Aaron Rock. I mean, he's been playing some pretty good golf this year. Most of it have been across the pond. But this finished 26 last week at the Memorial and has made, I believe, was that five out of six cuts now. So I like me some Aaron Rye this week. Thank you. Keeps going. In a, and this is the type of tournament that Aaron Rye could potentially win. So it wouldn't shock me if that happened at 7,900. I'm going to go all the way up to 8,500. That guy's been playing some really good golf this year, too, kind of flying under the radar. That's Johnny Vegas. Uh, he's actually hitting it. He's already He's been a long hitter his entire life. But he's been hitting it the longest he has of his entire career, and he's having his best ball striking year that he's ever had. And, you know, just on top of it, guys, he won back-to-back Canadian Opens. I understand it's not the same course, but still just the same part of the country, or the same part of the world, I guess. Won 2016-2017 uh, back-to-back and has made five of six cuts at this event. So, absolutely love Johnny Vegas this week. Might as well take that pick to Vegas, if you will. Well, C-Dub, I am going with 10,000. Normally, I don't pick a guy that has never played in at this course or in this event before, but this guy's playing too good lately not to pick him at 10,000. That's Sam Burns. One last time he teed it up at the Charles Schwab, 20th at the PGA, second at the Zurich, obviously the team event, won the Valspar. So, guys, Sam Burns is just playing too good a golf right now not to pick him at 10,000, Colby. Yeah, I love that pick. I actually had Sam Burns in my initial lineup, and I did a rework, and he had to get the boot. And I I feel like I'm going to end up regretting it on Sunday afternoon. Uh, My next is Cameron Champ, long-bombing Cameron Champ. Watch him hit range balls at Southern Hills. And, guys, if you just stand behind Cameron Champ on the range, like nothing else, just go stand behind him on the range, you will really get your brain working on how this guy's not one of the 10 best players in the world. He hits it so good, and and I'm probably overestimating that because obviously he only pops once or twice a year, uh, but you just never know when it's going to be Cameron Champ's week. So I'll take him at 7,800. Then my second most expensive, I'm going to jump up to another guy who's been playing some good golf. Uh, faded a bit at the Memorial with a 77 on Sunday. That can happen if things start going wrong at Jack's place. But give me Cameron Smith having a career year. Uh, I think he contends this week at St. George. is going to be a lot of long irons coming in, uh, and Cameron Smith excels there. 100%. That's why I'm going Kim Smith as well at 10,300. I know he has never made the cut in this event. You know, in 2017 and 2016, he missed the cut, but he's a young guy just getting on the PGA Tour. I don't put much stock into that, uh, but recently 13th at Memorial, 13th at the PGA, third at the Masters, players obviously, and so you know, Cam Smith playing too good at golf not to pick him right now. Give me Cam Smith, he does. Yes, sir. I absolutely knew you guys were going to go that route, so I'm going to go ahead and stay away. So that probably means y'all are in good shape there. So I'm going to go up to 9,000 guys, maybe playing some of the most underrated golf out of anyone in the entire world right now whenever you look at the analytics. That's Keith Mitchell. I mean, I'm looking back on this guy. He's only missed two cuts since the, since the start of the whole wraparound season. That's going all the way back to August or uh, September, I mean. So the only cuts he missed were at Corey and at the Wells Fargo. Finished 18th last week at the at the Memorial. Saw him at TJ where he finished 34th. Looked like he's swinging really well. He's actually having his best driving year that he's ever had. He's never been able to hit more fair or been in the higher percentage of hitting fairways. And Keith Mitchell's finally in that point. So long bomber is hitting some fairways. Go ahead and sign me up for that. And then, Kobe, you mentioned him earlier in the Rory's. I'm not going with Rory Sabatini, but I'm going with the guy who I do think is going to win this golf tournament. That's Rory McIlroy. I mean, you talk about just playing some good golf. We talk about this on the offseason, guys. You know, really it seems like the main thing that's been lacking with Rory besides his horrible wedge game has been his driving because he was so dominant with the driver. Well, now he's almost back to full stroke off the tee, uh, gaining, gaining strokes off the tee. And he's having by far his best chipping year of, of his career. And he's only played the Canadian Open one time, guys. And guess what he did? He won. So I, I hope he does the same thing. I think he will do the same thing. He's due, guys, and I do think it's happening this week. I totally agree with you, T-Dub. That's why I'm going Rory at 10,500 as well. 12, 13 made cuts, like you said. 
But recently, you gave the strokes gain stats. I'll just give his recent finishes. 18th at Memorial, 8th at the PGA, 5th at the Wells Fargo, and 2nd at the Masters. Last time he played in this tournament, he won. That's good enough for me. I mean, that's the surefire lock of the week is Rory McIlroy. Fellas, I've got some very bad news. Very, very bad news. 10,500, oh 10, Rory McIlroy. I've got a little Rory squared in my lineup this week. Both Rorys, all the reasons that y'all just said. He's playing great, great golf, and it just feels like he's due. It, it's like all these events, he's playing so well, and he's so close, but just one part of his game lets him down. Uh, he's won in Canada before. Uh, I think that he's got a good chance to do it again. I think that he could break through this week on the eve of the U.S. Open. So I'll take Rory McIlroy as my most expensive at 10500 Let's go uh, in reverse for one-and-done picks. Taylor, who you got in the one-and-done? One-and-done pick, guys. You know, hopefully, if I am wrong about my Rory pick, hopefully I'm right on this next part. Not not the exact same country, but pretty close to the Englishman. Give me Pearl Hat. Been playing some, been playing some really good golf. Has not missed a cut. This is going all the way back to the Houston Open last year, guys. So, And that includes the the, uh, the best ball tournament and getting through in the match play. So, absolutely love Pearl Hat and been putting so extremely well this year. By far, is the, or I guess the second best putting year besides the first year out there. So, yeah, I love me some Pearl Hat. And it seems like this is the type of course, guys, you don't have to overpower it per se. It's more of a placement course. So, really love Pearl Hat. And like I said, I think Rory's going to win. But I think Hatton's a, a surefire top 10. Well, guys, that means that I am going to go. I was thinking about Terrell Hatton, but I'm going to go with Harold Barner III. Recently, he's played some solid golf, 27th at the Charles Schwab, 4th at the team event at the Zurich, and then 3rd at the RBC. Uh, maybe he can do it again at the RBC Canadian Open, guys. Uh, so we'll see with Harold Barner III. But, you know, if, if I go back to previous course history, 35th in 2019, 17th in 2018. He's one of those solid picks. I didn't want to necessarily throw a big guy out there this week for the Canadian Open. So he's kind of the best of the middle guys that I have. Yeah, I like that one. I'm going to go Shane Lowry in the one and done this week. Shane Lowry's played a couple times in Canada. Uh, pretty good record. You know, he missed the cut in 17, but finished 12th in 2018, second in 2019. Uh, I know that's runner-up, but similar weather, similar climate, uh, and you're in Canada. So Shane Lowry, been playing some pretty good golf. Uh, everybody kind of liked him around Masters time. Uh, he had the runner-up earlier in the year at the Honda, top three finishes at the Masters and the RBC, and still playing pretty well, coming off a 32nd last week at the Memorial. So I will go Shane Lowry on that one. Uh, I'm going to go Shane Lowry. You should go to Quail Creek Bank. Quail Creek Bank is a family, and that is how they treat all of their customers like family. No hassles. You come in, they will get you taken care of. Go see our good friends at Quail Creek Bank. Gentlemen, Live Golf is this week. Uh, I don't know anything about the course. Uh, I don't know who about... 35 of the guys in the field are, but one thing I do know, one thing I do know, and this is my prediction for Live Golf this week, Louis Oosthuizen will finish T2. Mark it down. Book it. <laughs> official, official Live Golf prediction. If Louis does not finish T2, I think they might shut the league down because that's what has to happen in the first event. Well, Colby, uh, the golf tournament, I, I, I agree with you. I, the golf tournament is at uh, the Centurion Golf Club in Hertfordshire, England. Uh, P.W., do you know anything about this course? All I know is the name. I, I'm with you there. I, I know the name. I've seen a couple pictures of it. I mean, it looks like a, a nice place, so I, I'm not going to credit there. So, you know, maybe we'll get uh, get one round, and, and, you know, we'll get to see these guys tee off on all different holes because the damn shotgun starts. So that's going to be freaking interesting to watch it for sure. All right, guys, I have a little bit of a proposition. Uh, I think Colby's out on this, but we'll, we'll go with T-Dub and Woody and myself. Would you guys be in for a pizza for the eight events? You get one point, guys, for picking the team winner, and you get one point for picking the individual winner, and we'll do a snake draft each week and keep track of it, and loser pays winner of pizza at the end of the eight events. Would you guys be in on that, Woody? Oh, I'm all in. Sure. I'm all in, baby. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, we do need Colby's help with one thing. We got to help him, or we got to have him pick the order somehow Ooh, of this right. draft. Uh, what What do we want to do here? Let's go. Uh, I've got a number between one and ten. I won't cheat. I'm writing it down on a piece of paper right here. Number between Don't one lie. and ten. <laughs> one and ten. And we'll go in alphabetical order on getting to pick the number. Uh, so, Sam, you get to go first. 
Uh, give me six. Sam goes six. Taylor, what you got? Uh, I want to go 6.9, so I'll round up to seven. All right, Taylor goes seven. Woody, who you got? I'm going the other way, two. All right, the number was seven. Taylor's known me the longest, knows me the best, and got inside my brain and uh, knew exactly what the number was. I always default to seven for some reason. I think it's because my favorite baseball player growing up wore number seven, Yvonne Rodriguez for the Texas Rangers. Shout out to Pudge. Uh, Taylor, you are up first. Fire away. So, so let, I just want to make sure I get the rules straight. So, I, I pick a player first, and then I'll pick a team again on my next pick. Is that we'll do a snake draft for the player, and then we'll do a separate snake draft for the team. So, Woody will go first on the team, and then you'll go first on the individual player. Um, you get one – well, let's do it to where it's not necessarily, necessarily if they win the event. It's just if they win out of us three, right? So, it's just one point for the team, one point for the individual winner between us three. I like it. So I might as well go with the best player in the field. Give me Dustin Johnson. All right. Don't miss a layup. That means I am going second since I have six. I will go with give us give me our boy Taylor Gooch to start off the year. But by, by the way, if you watched the uh, announcement videos yesterday from the Live, that is T A Y L O R Taylor Gooch. <laughs> they wow. spelled his name wrong. It was it, that was a bad deal. In, in the official team announcement, they spelled his name wrong, and they haven't taken it down <laughs> and fixed it. They just left it up. <laughs> That's bad. That's not good. <laughs> is wear shorts over there? <laughs> oh, that's I don't know. That's that's, that is a good question, actually. Well, Sam took my guy because I was going to say because I don't this live. I don't know anything, but I'm just riding the storm with this live. And I was thinking, well, you got to go with the local guy. But since DJ's gone and Taylor's gone, I'll uh, I'll go I'll go something kind of a little bit different here. I'm gonna go Sergio. Hmm. Okay. I like that. So so what y'all say y'all are doing here? Snake and you're picking teams on the way back. Yep, so now Woody picks the team on the way back. All right, Woody. Okay, so. Uh, yeah, Crushers, Fireballs, I'm gonna go, Torque. I'm going to go. The, the, is Mickelson's team the High Flyers? The High yes. Flyers. Yes. Justin Hardy and Chase Kepka on that team. What's Dustin Johnson's team? Uh, aces. Four aces. Four aces. I'm gonna go with, I'll go with the four aces. All, All right. Four aces off then the board. I'll, I'll stick with Team Torque. Give me Team Torque. I got. I'm going all in. All, all my eggs are in one basket this week. You know, guys, I don't want to do this either. But I'm sitting here looking at the teams, and pretty much what my philosophy here is: I'm trying to look for which team has the second, or who has the best second player. And, and to me, it looks like that would be the punch team with Matt Jones. But our boy Wade Ormsby is the team captain. So I'm going to stay away from that. And I'm going to go with the uh, the four aces because uh, Sean Norris is the second guy on that team. He played with uh, with Tiger Saturday uh, at, at Southern Hill. So Taylor, give me a Taylor, little bit of the four aces team. Guys. Taylor, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I'm pretty sure Woody just picked the four aces. Yeah, you can't oh, have shit. it. Oh, give me the high flyers, dude. I thought you said, oh, never mind. I got it mixed up. You're exactly Wait, hey, by the way, who did you say was the second guy on Team Punch? Wait, now Taylor's making me question it. Did Woody pick the four aces or the high flyer? He picked the four aces. He did. Yeah, yeah I, was, I wasn't thinking. I'm okay. sorry. Who, hey, Colby, who was the second player on Team Punch? On Team Punch? Uh, I don't yeah. have it in front of me, but I can find it within the next 10 seconds, within the next five seconds. Here we go. Uh, Wade Ormsby, and then I believe, let's look here. Who is the second guy on this roster? I'm trying to find it. Efforting, efforting. So here's what I need to do, guys. I need to get Matt Jones back on a button because we've had so much new audio pulled in over the last, like, six weeks that I had to take Matt Jones off a button. So now, pulling back the curtain here, it's like a manual to go in and find Matt Jones every time. So I got to get Matt Jones back on a button ASAP. Hey, yeah, that was great at producing right there, though. I like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That was good. I did. I like that, too. All right. Uh, so, everybody's got their teams. Uh, what What else? We I think we've hit just about everything. I feel like I've got to be missing something because there's so much happening in the golf world. What, what am I missing here? Uh, by the way, Brooks Chepka got married over the weekend and had Ludacris at his wedding. He did. They were partying, man. They were partying. They were getting hey, after it. I was going to say what what he spent on that wedding. He's going to the live next. <laughs> uh, by the way, can I just be the guy? 
Jenna looked great. Her dancing was so <laughs> awkward. It was. So, I actually thought Kepka was dancing fine. I thought he had a little bit of flow and a little bit of rhythm. I thought Jenna's dancing was so incredibly awkward. Who? Anybody with me? I mean, I, I was thinking some of the dancing, Colby. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't watching her dancing either. <laughs> I, I always just think it's awkward when they're playing rap music at the wedding. You know, like I, I'm the biggest rap guy in the world. I love rap, but what I'm saying is like. When you get a group of like 150 white people together, it's just a little awkward when you get the dancing going on in the wedding. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. Oh, it's a lot of fun, though. So, uh, all right, great stuff, everybody. Enjoy the golf over the next few days. Uh, I won't be watching much of it. It's my anniversary this weekend. We're getting out of town. Uh, but everybody enjoy the golf, and we'll be back next week. It's U.S. Open week. It's U.S. Open week, which means, guess what? Everybody's going to come together and hold hands and play in the same golf tournament. Thanks for listening <laughs> once again to the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>